You know, today is a, today's a beautiful day to serve the Lord. It's a beautiful day to serve the Lord no matter what day it is. On our good days, on our bad days, in the storms, in the trials, and the troubles, we serve a risen Savior who loves us, who gives us hope, who gives us courage in the midst of all the mess in this world. Today we're going to continue our series in the book of Mark. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 2, please feel free to do so. But I want to be up front with you today and let you know that what you're about to hear is not going to be popular. In fact, it may make some people mad. And I really wish Troy would come and preach. (laughs) I have preached from this portion of scriptures before, but never got the message that God gave me this week from it. I feel moved by the Holy Spirit to bring to you today something that I hope challenges your thinking, causes you to reflect, and hopefully will change and transform someone's life. To be a Christian is not simply defined by the moral values you hold. To be a Christian is not simply defined by the particular beliefs that you hold dear. To be a Christian is simply defined by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you to make you a brand new person as you you have connected to God through Jesus Christ. It's not based on works. It's not based on looks. It's not based on dialect or nationality. It is based on Jesus Christ transforming your life and your life alone. It is not even based on whether you are watching a service today or if you're attending one. Being a Christian is not simply based on the outward appearance or even the inward beliefs, but the conversion, the transformation that takes place by the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And with that knowledge, we have to understand that God desires for us who have been transformed and converted to have a heart for the sinner. Somebody say that with me because that's not a very politically correct, it's not a very popular, it's not a nice word to use today, but you know what? Your pastor's going to use it, so say it with me, sinner. You know what makes a sinner a sinner? Sin. So let's say it together. Let's comfortably just get this out front so we can just feel good with the word today. Everybody say sin. sin. Everybody say sinner. sinner. Paul said, I am the chief of all sinners. But thanks be unto God, the Holy Spirit transformed his life from within and gave him a new identity. No longer a sinner, but a saint who sins. There is a difference. And today we're going to come to a place where... I want us to refocus because sometimes we can be led astray from God's great work. We can be led astray and we can get our eyes and our minds focused on things that's not God's great work and think it is. So today I want us to really zone in, to focus with an intention. So here we are in chapter 2, and, and there is this story. Many of you have heard this story where there is a paralyzed man, and he has four friends who, who 
decided, we're going to take this man to Jesus. And they get him there. They can't get inside. The door is blocked. There's people everywhere in this house. Jesus has become really popular. Can I tell you something? Sometimes it's, it's a cool thing to know Jesus and talk about Jesus. But there's a difference between talking about Him, knowing about Him, and living and having Him inside of you. There is a difference. So these people had come and they wanted to hear this man named Jesus and they had filled up the house and these men had brought this, this man, this young man who was paralyzed because they cared about him. This young man couldn't do it on his own. He could not get there by himself. He had four men who helped him. When they got there, couldn't get in, couldn't get close to Jesus. But these men knew if we can just get him close enough, something big's going to take place. Something big's going to happen. So they went up on the roof, and the houses back then were, were flat. The, the roofs were, were flat, and they were made of thatch and different types of material. And it wasn't too hard to start peeling back the roof. And they peeled back the roof, and they made a hole right over top where Jesus was. So I want you to think about this. They had, they had to survey the house to know exactly and, and, and do some measuring and go, Okay, Jesus is right here, guys, so let's make the hole right here. We're not going to put it beside him. We're not going to put it two rows back. We want, we want our friend to be right in front of Jesus. Why? Because they believe Jesus could make a difference. So they tear open the roof, and they lower him down. And it's verse number 5 of chapter 2. I want us to read together. Hopefully you have your word in your hand, or you've got it digitally in your hand, or you're following along on the YouVersion event. I want you to look, because... The goal is for you to take God's Word and apply it to your life, not what I say. So let's look at verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, the young man who was paralyzed, you would expect him to say, what? Be healed. Get up and walk. That's what the friends were looking for. But look what Jesus said first and foremost. Verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Child, son, depending on your translation, your sins are forgiven. Now wait just a minute. There was an expectation of physical healing, but yet Jesus, the thing He says is, your sins are forgiven. There's a significance in Mark uh, recording this and getting this before us because there is a message in chapter 2 that is huge. I want us to learn more about Jesus so you can write this down today. We can see this in verses 4 and verses 5 here that Jesus forgives sins. I want us to follow on in verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, what they are going after is that only God Himself can forgive sins. Man cannot do that. That would fly in the face of Catholicism, wouldn't it? We're not going to go there. Only God can forgive sins. And here they're saying this, and this is true. And you know what this points to in chapter 2? That Jesus is God. Because He does and He can forgive. So here they are questioning, how dare He? He's a blasphemer. Only God can forgive. 
Verse 8, immediately, there's that word in Mark again, the word immediately. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Absolute proof that Jesus is the one that forgives sins. Someone say sins. Sins. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. And that was the focus of this healing. It wasn't so much that the men were determined and, and that they had faith. It is that Jesus is the forgiver of sins and He has the authority to do that. And that's what Mark wants to get across here. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Can I tell you, Buddha does not have the authority to forgive sins. Neither does Allah or any other God that wants to be mentioned. Only the God of the Bible can forgive sins. So here's Jesus... Making it clear to these people, He does have authority to forgive sins. Jesus forgives sins. As we look on in chapter 2, we find that Mark follows this story up with another very interesting one where, where Jesus calls this man who is a tax collector. And you know what the people call tax collectors? Somebody say it. A sinner. Tax collectors are sinners. The IRS is a sinner. (laughs) Tax collectors were sinners. Now here's something very interesting. Sinners is a technical term for the common people that that was regarded by the Pharisees as untaught in the law, as someone who did not abide by what the Pharisees said was right and wrong. They were considered sinners. Sinners in the eyes of the religious and those who think they're better than other people were considered sinners. But Jesus walked by this man named Matthew and said, Matthew, come and follow me. Matthew did not have to consult. He did not have to think about it or he did not even have to go into a moment of prayer and devotion. Matthew just got up and he said, all right, I'm following this guy. Because here's a rabbi, instead of pushing me away and saying, you're just a sinner, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. This Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus did not ask Matthew to clean up, fix up, to make everything right, to give back the money, to stop being a tax collector. Jesus simply just told Matthew, follow me. You can see that in verse 14. Two words, follow me. And then Matthew responded, can I tell you something? I really believe Matthew's heart was ready in that moment. I believe there had been times when he had heard people talk, where things had happened in his life, where the Lord was dealing with him in such a way, that when Jesus said, follow me, that was enough. He was ready. So Matthew gets up and he begins to follow Jesus. And then we find this very uh, peculiar scene Where Jesus is in the house, some some theologians have said it's Matthew's house. Some said it's Peter's house that we saw in chapter 1. It doesn't matter whose house it was. What matters is who was in that house. 
I leaned more toward it was Matthew's house because the guests that were inside that house probably would not have been invited to Peter's house. Maybe they would have. But we find this, let's begin reading in verse 15. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Now isn't this peculiar? I just saw this for the first time. Both episodes, the Pharisees don't talk to Jesus, do they? First time, they're just talking amongst themselves, pondering it, you know, kind of considering it. And then, here, they go talk to the disciples. And they say, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? See, what they were looking at, they had defined the individual by their actions and just simply said they're sinners and tax collectors. We can't be around them. They'll make us dirty. They're nasty people. They're just, ooh, yuck. I don't want to talk to them. Why is he eating and drinking with them? Look at verse 17. And hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. One translation says this. I did not come to call those who think that they're okay. I came for those who know that they're a mess. That's why Jesus came. He came for the sinners. Say it with me. The sinners. Jesus calls the sinners here in verse 17. Now, when Jesus was in there with the sinners, this is something for you to think about. Jesus is eating with these sinners. They had a bad reputation. And Him being in there with them did not make them any more righteous than the sinners made Jesus a sinner. That presence and dwelling among them did not change His identity or theirs. But I can tell you what was happening in those sinners' lives. Their lives began to change. Because if you notice, it was the sinners that had decided to follow Jesus and wanted to hear about Jesus and they were interested and they were hungry. But it still called them what? Sinners. Jesus was still eating with the sinners. But yet, the Pharisees, the religious, those who thought they were going to make it to heaven, looked down upon those who were not living exactly as they had deemed the appropriate, moral, and right way to live. Jesus came not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And Jesus extends that call to them. As we continue to look at this, as Mark begins to give us a picture here, we find in verse 18 that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to Jesus, now they're going to talk to him. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your, fa your disciples do not? And Jesus goes on to explain, well, while the bridegroom is with them, there's no reason for them to grieve or to mourn, but soon they will go away. But then, not only does he answer their question, he gives them something that's powerful and cut to the quick. 
Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins are well uh, as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Now, this is the first parable we read of in the book of Mark that Jesus tells here. It's, it's something that has symbolism and a meaning behind it to help us understand. So, here's the message of Jesus to the Pharisees. Here's the reason why they're not fasting, but I want to make it very clear to you Pharisees who think that you're righteous and you've got this religious idea of, uh, of the moral right and wrong, that you cannot add works to salvation. Jesus and something else does not work. Jesus and religion does not work. Jesus and Baptist does not work. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing else. No other ingredient. It's not dressing up. It's not looking better. It's not wearing a tie. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Mix it with anything else and it messes it up. That was his point to the to these Judaizers is you cannot take Jesus and stick it with Judaism and mix the two and think you'll get something right. What you get is you get a mess. So I'm here to declare to you today, I'm not standing up here preaching as a Baptist. I'm not standing up here preaching as anything except for a follower of Jesus Christ declaring that He is the way and the only way, the truth and the life. It doesn't matter if you've got a background in Church of God, in Methodist, in Catholic. It, it doesn't matter. I hope and pray to God somebody Mormon's listening because I got news for you. Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth and the life. There is no other life you can have outside of Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. That's his message right here. Jesus is declaring he forgives sins. He is declaring that he calls the sinners. He wants the sinner to become righteous. Somebody say righteous because we're turning the corner now. And Jesus is the only way for anyone to go from a sinner to a saint. An attempt to bind the newness of the gospel of Jesus Christ with anything else is a futile attempt at destroying the very good news of the gospel. You know, in our pluralistic society, it's hard for me, a country boy, to say that word. It is thought that, you know, all good people's going to go to heaven, right? To think anything besides that is narrow-minded. To think that God would send anyone to hell is so narrow-minded. I mean, God's going to let good people go to hell, go, go, go to heaven. And there's multiple ways to get to God if you're a good person. I mean, we look at the evil people in this world and surely those people would not agree that those kind of people would be in heaven with us. And yet they say we're narrow-minded to say Jesus is the only way. Listen to this. They're saying only good people get into heaven, but we're saying the good, the bad, the ugly, the evil, the ones that just think their life is falling apart, the ones that think crazy thoughts, the ones that have been involved in the worst of the worst, they're all available to go to heaven through Jesus Christ. Now, who's got the narrow mind? Jesus is not narrow-mindedness. It is the truth. It is the way. It is the life. Jesus is 
the way. So now that we know more about Jesus, let's talk about being more like Jesus. And I believe this comes from verse 17 more than anything as he declared, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, those who think that they're okay, but the sinners. As we look at chapter 2, there's a message that jumps out that we need to hear. That we as born-again believers need to focus more on people being righteous than them being sinners. Listen to me. Because here's the distraction. We want to look at people and we want to point our fingers and say, those people, I can't believe that person. They're so evil. We begin to group people into these, these, these groupings of identity and we totally disregard they need Jesus. We need to focus on seeing people become righteous through Jesus Christ instead of constantly looking at them as a sinner. Now, don't get me wrong. They are a sinner. We're all a sinner. But our mindset to put them into a category and into a, a, a bubble... They're a sinner. Almost we can get to a place where we go, they're beyond help. We have to understand, Jesus came to make the sinner righteous, not the sinner just be more of a sinner. He came to see them transformed and converted. Jesus is more concerned about righteousness than He is religion. He's more concerned about the life that we can be transformed through the renewing of Jesus Christ, through the renewing of the Holy Spirit, than He is all the religious things that we do. Because He came for the sinners so that they can become righteous. Because the righteous thought that they had it all together. But the sinner understood, I ain't got nothing together. And they found acceptance. They found forgiveness of sins. In Jesus Christ. Did they see that they were sinners? I believe they probably did because everyone told them they were. But what's more important, it isn't so much that we tell people they are sinners because, let's be honest, most of them realize they are. We must let the Holy Spirit do its work for them to realize that they are are sinners. It is not our job to convict someone of sin, to bring conviction upon them, to, to bring them to a place where they are going, oh, I need Jesus. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We do have a part to play, but we do not change their heart. That's God's job. He's the one who will convince them. He's the one that's been working in their life to bring them to a place where they understand, man, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And God will send us along to, to plant those seeds or to bring the harvest and to be in that place where, where we begin to share the gospel and we begin to ask them questions and we begin to clarify this whole story of Jesus and then they're ready, just like Matthew was, and they go, yes, I will follow. See, our job is to see people become righteous, not condemn them as sinners. We must be careful 
today. Our work is to live a life of righteousness and to speak how anyone can become righteous, and that's through Jesus Christ. Because He came to help the sinner. John chapter 3, there was a very righteous Pharisee named Nicodemus that came to Jesus and began to ask him questions about, about this whole salvation thing. And, and he had grown up around this whole idea of what it means to, to be righteous. And you get into heaven by just being good and doing all the right things and living right and knowing the right stuff. And so in John chapter 3, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, he didn't even ask a question, did he? But Jesus answered him anyway. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus understood that Nicodemus needs to get to the place where he's righteous from the inside out. Jesus did not begin to harp on all the sins in Nicodemus' life. He didn't begin to say, Nicodemus, you've missed the boat, son. You're thinking that you're righteous, but you're not. It came to a point where Jesus just simply shared the truth. That no one will see God except through me. He, He says... I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again and enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus went on to explain. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, that Spirit is that idea that unless you are changed and transformed from the inside out through the Holy Spirit, you will not grab hold of righteousness. So for those who think that they're just, they're just going to be good and morally right, they're just going to choose to be a good person and get into heaven, they're going to fall short because they need Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in their life to get there. And thankfully, He provides that for us. We don't have to try to live up to His standard. We simply let the Holy Spirit work in our life and change us. This is God's work. This is why Jesus came. John MacArthur said, Rescuing men from sin is God's greatest concern. I'm going to say it. Y'all love me, right? Who is sitting in the presidential chair later this week is not God's greatest concern. God's greatest concern is that people will come to faith in Jesus Christ and become righteous because of the work of the Holy Spirit from within. That is God's greatest concern. God's great mission is not for our nation to reflect all the Christian values that we hold dear. His greatest mission is that for each and every man and woman walking down the street that you work with, that you encounter at the store, that every man and woman, boy and girl, they have the Holy Spirit, they have a relationship with Christ because they will live a righteous life at that point. And when they do, then our nation will have the values that we so seek it to have. The righteousness and God's great concern begins with us, not somewhere else. So this is a hard truth I have to bring today. 
that God's great concern is not what's going on in Washington, D.C. His great concern is what's going on in your heart, in your mind, and in your life, and whether you're pursuing His great mission. Because that will change everything. As we look, we can see that sometimes, let's be honest, we would rather talk about the sinner than talk to the sinner. I'm glad there were some honest people in the room who said amen. I'm telling you, sometimes we would rather talk about the sinner than we would to actually talk to them. Sometimes we'd rather put them in a box and just condemn them to hell and walk away and live our life secured in Christ than we would to take a step toward that sinner and see them become righteous and their life changed. Jesus' great concern was to see the sinner become a saint. He had plenty of people to heal. His goal and his mission was not to heal anyone, everyone. If his goal and mission was to heal everyone, we sure wouldn't be dealing with the coronavirus right now because there would be no more sickness, no more disease. And when we looked at heaven, we'd go, it's going to be just like here. Sickness and disease prepares us for the glory of heaven. But Jesus came to heal something that we can't get our minds and our hands wrapped around. That is the sinner's heart. We have to keep our minds focused on seeing people become righteous rather than focusing on them being a sinner alone. So here are some things that I want to make sure you understand. And first and foremost, I don't want you to hear anything but this from my, my lips today. God's standard is important, and that is what defines people as sinners. That God's Word de- defines that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. That's God's standard. We can't get away from that. Regardless of opinion, regardless of popularity, God's standard declares we've all sinned. So when you look at somebody and you talk about how bad they are, let me remind you that if it wasn't for Jesus, you may even be worse than they are. So we have to be careful not to judge and to push away and put sinners in a basket all by themselves and walk the other way. We must understand that God's standard is important. They're a sinner. We were a sinner, but we've been saved by grace, and we're a saint that sins. Pastor, I don't know if I'm a saint. Well, according to the Bible, you are. So how about acting like one? When you come to know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the Bible declares you a saint. It's not a process of someone in a church going, oh, you're now going to be called St. Chad or St. Larry or St. Troy. No. Jesus declares us a saint according to the Scriptures, so let's act like it. And if we would act more like the Bible declares us to be, people would be running to Jesus because they'd see that we've got the hope, that we've got something that they don't have, that they've been longing for. God's standard is important, and people are valuable. Listen to me. Repeat that after me. People People are valuable. People are valuable. Whether they're a sinner 
or they're a saint. Whether they, whether they give you the eebie-jeebies, I don't even know if that's a real English word. I don't know how in the world you translate that, that to another language. Whether they give you the eebie-jeebies, now I can't even say it. Thank you. Whether they give you that or they don't, how you look at them will change what you do. If you look at them and you want to continue to condemn them as a sinner, probably they're going to walk farther and farther away. Jesus, I don't think Jesus was in there going, you messed up, you messed up, you messed up, you messed up. Let me list it. Here's all the bad things you've done. You're an absolute mess. I don't even know why you came to dinner tonight. You should be in the tabernacle praying. Jesus had a meal with the sinners. And it was those who thought they had it all together that stood back and said, why is he doing that? He's with the sinners. They were focused on the people being sinners. Jesus was focused on the sinner becoming righteous through him. That's where we must get. Not only is there a God standard and people are valuable, but people need to be set free from the chains of sin. And that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be set free. There's not a five-step program, a 21-step program. There's not anything out there that will set you free from sin like Jesus Christ can. You may be set free from an addiction. It might be for a little while. It might be for the rest of your life. But you'll never be set free from sin until you receive Jesus Christ. The Bible declares that we are, we are not to live as if sin controls us because we've been set free. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He gave us victory over death, hell, and the grave. And according to Scripture... We don't have to let it rule our life. So we must help other people be set free. To see sinners become saints, it takes God's standard to make it clear that they're a sinner. And it takes God's people loving enough to tell them about the righteousness of Christ so that they can experience a relationship, so they can become a saint. It's not going to happen by osmosis. It's not going to happen magically. It is not my job to stand up here on Sunday morning and win, win the world, the lost, to Jesus Christ. The Bible declares it's all of our jobs. I'm to be here to help prepare you to go out that door and for us all this next week to do something to help someone get a little closer to being righteous because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because you've convinced them what they were doing was wrong and for them to change their life because of that. We must let people know they need Jesus. If they have tattoos, if they drink too much, if they're on drugs... If, they cho if they've chosen alternate lifestyles or even want to be called by a different gender, let me tell you something. The way for someone to change is through Jesus Christ, not through my argument of what's right and wrong. Jesus will change the heart. If I'll just bring that to them, I'll sit back and watch God do something amazing. We have to stop playing God to try to fix people and let Him do the fixing and us just do the sharing. Let Him... Bring righteousness into people's life. Let's remove the, the blinders, the, the lies the devil has taught us that they're sinners. Let's, ooh, they need to stay over there. 
And let's grab hold of the fact they need Jesus. And without Jesus, they will never have hope. What must I do? Well, it comes down to this. One simple thing. I must make a Jesus commitment. Now this can go one of two ways. I must make a commitment that Jesus Christ, you are, I need you, I've messed up, I am a sinner, I need you to forgive me and to take over my life. Who forgives sins? God alone. He's the only one who can move it as far as the east is from the west. Because we as people, we don't tend to forget. And it hurts. And that's who we are. But God can remove it as far as the east is from the west. And He can clean us up. It says, I believe in 1 Peter, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can become righteous and holy as He has declared us to be. But as we do that, there's a transformation that takes place from within to bring about righteousness in life. The Holy Spirit will do a work that your years of convincing someone will not. So first and foremost, do you know Jesus? Have you made a commitment to Jesus? Have you come to that place where you realize, yeah, I messed up. I'm a sinner. You know what? I was in that same spot. I realized I was a sinner. I was separated from God. Anyone who knows Jesus Christ and who's a child of God came to that place of understanding they fell short of God's standard. They're a sinner. And then they have to just realize there's nothing I can do to fix it. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you take over. That's the first Jesus commitment that must take place. And the second one is this. To be about God's kingdom business of helping people go from being a sinner to a saint. Seeing them as someone who needs to become righteous rather than just simply pushing them away. Sharing Jesus with them. But if I was to ask now, how many of you are a little bit afraid or you're nervous when it comes to sharing Jesus with someone? Whether it's someone you know or someone you don't know. I imagine there'd be a whole bunch of hands pop up in, in the room right now. You'd go, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little nervous. I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm not sure if I can even express it right. I'm, afra- I'm afraid I'll mess it up. Have anybody, has anybody in here ever thought that besides me? I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. And if I start talking and sharing Jesus, they're never going to come to Jesus because I'm going to mess the whole thing up. And then God's going to look at me and say, Boy, why'd you open your mouth? I'm just being honest here. Well, guess what? In two weeks, on Wednesday night, Tim Hatch is going to be teaching a class called Share Jesus Without Fear. You thought you were going to get away with it, didn't you? In two, two weeks, January 27th, right now, if you're watching online and you've got, got it up where all the chat's happening, we're going to move over the whole thing about where you can make a commitment and sign up at this very moment for the class. You can sign up right now today to take this class on Wednesday night. It's going to start at 6.30, January 27th, right here. Share Jesus without fear.
Jesus came not to help people be happy, but to make people holy. And when you are holy, you're going to find a happiness you never knew existed. He's going to bring something into your life where you're going to have joy when the storms are going going on, when the mountain is high. So if you know Christ and you are a child of God, maybe this is the Jesus commitment you need to make. Maybe you need to make the commitment to say, you know what? Jesus was about seeing sinners become saints to seeing people become righteous, and I need help doing that. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. Maybe you're bold and, and, and you go, you know what? I'll tell everybody I meet they need Jesus. We, we actually have a sign at the, at the end of our hallway downstairs. You, you want to know what it is? It says, y'all need Jesus. It's just something that my wife says. We all say, y'all need Jesus. You know, we just say it. We, we heard that last night on a movie we were watching. You need Jesus. Why? Because Jesus will transform and change your life. And people need Jesus. And we are the ones He has chosen. He chose each and every one of you to be part of telling someone about Jesus. So if you would like to know how to share Jesus without fear, I encourage you, sign up right now on the, on the events app, on the Bible app. If you're following along right now, there is a link where you can click on it and you can sign up at this very second. Right now, we're going to put up on the screen and put online my telephone number, uh, uh, the telephone number to the office, my number so you can text me an email so that you can sign up right now to say, I want to be able to share Jesus more. Because if you want to be more like Jesus, this will be a priority in your life. You will not leave it to other people. You will never be more like Jesus than when you share the gospel of Jesus. So this, this morning, I encourage you to make this commitment. One of these two commitments. Either accept Jesus Christ today or renew your commitment to tell people about Jesus. Because Jesus wants us to see people who need to become righteous than simply seeing them as sinners who are hopeless. I don't want us to forget our seven-day challenge this week. Last week, we began our 21 days of prayer. And we were praying for ourselves individually and our church. This week, I want us to pray for the lost. I want us to pray that God's kingdom will prevail in the lives of people. For those who do not know Jesus, maybe you know some people right now that come to mind and you're going, if they know Jesus, they are far from living like it. Or maybe there's some people you know that just don't know Him at all. Pray for them. The simple prayer, may God's kingdom prevail in their life. God, bring them to a place where they will receive your righteousness. That they will no longer simply be a sinner, but they'll be a saint who sins. They'll be born again. By your head, close your eyes as Gina comes today. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge, Lord, that you've issued today. And Lord, we remove our eyes from the stigmatism of just placing people into groups of being sinners, and we see them as people who need to become righteous through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is the work that 
Jesus came to do. And God, we have to be about His work. Lord, your message is clear that you love people, you value them. Regardless of what they've chosen, what they've done, how they've messed up. Lord, you you have come with the mission to see sinners become saints. So Lord, as we turn our eyes and our minds and our hearts to prayer this week, May you break our hearts. May we begin to weep over those who do not know you. Lord, until our hearts break over those who are lost, we probably won't do a whole lot to tell them about you. Lord, give us your words, give us your grace, give us your mercy. We're not perfect. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. And sometimes we're going to mess it up. Lord, sometimes we're going to miss the opportunity you put right in front of us. But Father, you're so big that you'll send someone right in behind me that if I mess it up, that will straighten it all out. Because I trust you, God. And I thank you that you've chosen to use me to share the greatest love that anyone will ever know. That is the love of Jesus Christ. Father, help us today commit our lives to just do what you have called us to do. That we will be about seeing sinners become saints. And all the division of our country right now, Lord. May we begin to see the need for people to know Jesus more than anything else. I love you, Father, and I thank you for this day. In the beautiful name of Jesus.